of resistance in our life and how prayer relates to resistance. Now, I use the word resistance because uh, it helps me understand kind of the role it plays in my life. And it's also a generic word because the truth is no one knows the science behind resistance that comes from the unseen world. So that's why I use resistance. Some people might call it spiritual warfare. Uh, I don't know what your tradition may have called it, but essentially the role of prayer when we encounter those circumstances where it just seems like something or someone or some energy is coming against us, what is the role of that in the life of the Christian and how does that relate to prayer? So that's what we're gonna look at this week. So, so this week we're, 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 we're looking at YIELD Part 3, and we've been looking at prayer through the acronym of PRAY, Pause, Rejoice, Ask, and Yield. So this morning, it's kind of a bold, big idea, but I believe in it 100%. It's not just gimmicky. Our big idea this morning is that anyone who regularly practices the prayer of examine will experience transformation in every area of their lives. Anyone who regularly practices the prayer of examine will experience transformation in every area of their lives. So whether that is transformation that is needed in my physical health, transformation that's needed in my mental health, transformation that's needed in my relational health, or transformation that's needed in my spiritual health, or even transformation that's necessary in my uh, financial health, or even in my vocational health. Every single area of my life can be impacted and affected, and I can open the door to the process of transformation through observing times of regular examination, or as the, as the uh, Christians of another day would call it the prayer of examine. So we're going to look at the prayer of examine because we be I believe that anyone who regularly practices the prayer of examine will experience transformation in every area, every area of their lives. So for the first seven to ten minutes, let's take a moment and let's look at some of the passages that reflect upon this reality. Number one, we'll look at Second Peter. Uh, chapter 1 verses 10 through 11 and here's what the Apostle Peter has to say therefore brothers and sisters make every effort everybody repeat the phrase make every effort okay make every effort to confirm your calling and election because here's the reason if those two words that create a contrast that says, if you, if you follow my wisdom, this is the result. But it also carries with it the assumption, if you choose to neglect what I'm saying, that will also have a result or a consequence. So he says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. Bold statement, Apostle Peter, particularly since the New Testament spills a lot of ink telling us about your failures and stumblings. But this is what he says, you'll never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, will be richly provided for you. Look at this, in this way, entry into the kingdom will be provided to you, richly provided for you. In what way? If you are a person that chooses to live a rhythm of life that allows you to have real time of re reflection so that you can make every effort to confirm your calling. 
Confirming your calling empowers you to resist temptation. Now, what Peter is hinting upon here, even though he didn't go and take a freshman psychology 101 uh, psychology class, he is hinting on something. Look at what he says here. If you do this, if you will confirm your calling and election, then you will never stumble and you will have an entryway into the eternal kingdom richly provided for you. Now think about what he's saying. What he's saying is this. He's saying the source, the source of your stumbles is not your lousy willpower. He, he's saying that the source of your Stumbling is from the insecurity that comes when you don't confirm your calling and election. In other words, when you do not trust the identity that you've been given, in particularly the redeemed and restored and reconciled identity that you have been given as a gift because of the work of Jesus, because of the grace of God, and because of the drawing of the Holy Spirit, that, that like confirming that in your own heart is the best thing that you can do to empower you to uh, pursue behaviors that are healthy and a blessing to yourself and others. In other words, identity issues always precede behavioral issues, which is why Peter says the way to keep from stumbling isn't to memorize more verses and it's not to, uh, to bone up on your willpower. The way you keep from stumbling is becoming secure in who you are. So you should make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Okay, let's go see what the Apostle Paul has to say about this idea of examine. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Everyone say, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. Or do yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? Now, the problem with a verse like this, in a sermon series like this, with the time constraints that we have like this, is I know that's bound to create some confusion and some questions, depending on the kind of Bible Belt evangelical atmosphere in which you are raised. It's okay to press into those questions, talk to your friends, talk to your partner, or if, if you would like, call up to the church, and I would be happy to process that experience with you, because we don't have time to go on all into it but let me suffice it to say this peter is not threatening you if you don't really watch yourself you may be going to hell and you don't know it unfortunately that's how evangelicals tend to read verses like this but contextually he's not talking about your eternal destination what he is talking about is whether or not you live from the revelation that jesus christ lives in you that jesus christ is your life and if I live my life in such a way that Jesus is my reference point, then the fruit of my life and the consequences of my choices are very different than if even as a Christian, that is not a significant part of my self-understanding. If the life of Christ is not a significant real-time revelation of how I see myself, how I see you, and how I see this world, if I neglect to cultivate that perspective, there will be uh, consequences to my outlook and consequences to my choices that often are undesirable. However, 
If I'm willing to listen to what Peter is saying and understand that, that, that the most critical thing about me is whether or not I re recognize and believe that Jesus Christ lives in me. The highest authority of my life exists right here because this is the place where God dwells. The way in which I interact with Jesus in the most unmediated sense and what I mean by that is sources of mediation can be helpful. A source of mediation for Revelation might be a book that you read or a podcast that you listen to or maybe a teacher that you enjoy or maybe even possibly a pastor who does a decent job at his job. However, the most direct access to God that you have exists right here. There is no mediator. There is no book. There is no person. There is no pastor. There is no guru. It is just you before the presence of God experiencing a reality that we really only see described in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where God's creation is breathing in the breath of life of God, becoming living beings and learning how to walk with God in the cool of the day. This is what you have access to in your heart. It is the restoration of Eden, and you can go there any time that you want. But if you do not, if your own self-perception, like, and it doesn't matter if I were to give you a test and you would answer correctly, true or false, does Christ live in you? You say true. That, that cerebral understanding, it doesn't matter if it doesn't translate into the realm of your self-perception and emotion. If that is not a very, very real motivating factor for how you live your life, then I would suggest that you examine yourself, that you take some time to understand that negligence and understand how you can begin to course correct. A great verse prayer for this is psalm 139 search me god and know my heart test me and know my concerns see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way look at those verbs search me know me test me see me lead me see david recognizes without that intervention of the wisdom of god he's lost he doesn't know what to do and the reason why we can be confident in this process is found in 2 Corinthians 2.10. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. Everyone say, by the Spirit. This is like youth group in the 90s. Uh, what was that thing we'd go to? Um, acquire the fire. That's what we're doing this morning. A little acquire the fire techniques. Um, God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now look at this promise. The Holy Spirit searches the depths of everything. The Holy Spirit understands the depths of your psyche, of your motivation, of your insecurities, of your addictions and your wounds in a way that you probably don't even understand them. And the Spirit also searches the deep things of God. So now in our hearts, we have Eden restored. 
where we can walk with God in the cool of the day and that same spirit that hovered over the chaos until it was time to speak order and life into it and to bring forth humanity, that same spirit that searches the depths of God's heart and knows the depths of your psyche, you have an invitation to sit in his presence and say, let me know what you see. You have perception where I am blind. Let me know what you see. The Spirit reveals things to us because the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And so we position ourselves to learn about the prayer of examine. If you research it, if you look at through the Google, it has different ways of talking about it. The prayer of examine, daily examine, Ignatian examine is a subset of this idea because uh, the Jesuits kind of perfected the technique, but they're not the only ones that have, have, have pressed into it. Or it's just called the daily examine. So the prayer of examine is this. The daily examine is a technique of prayerful reflection on the events of the day in order to detect God's promise and discern his direction for us. That's our goal in the prayer of examine. We, we want to be more effective in learning to detect God's presence and discern his direction. Detect God's presence and discern his direction. These are the two movements. These are the two goals. These are the two um, initiatives that we're seeking to pursue whenever we give ourselves over to the prayer of examine. Now, Basically, the prayer of examine concentrates on two broad areas of your life. One is the examine of consciousness, and the other is the examine of conscience. The examine of consciousness and the examine of con conscience. Now, before that word consciousness weirds anybody out, all I mean by that is awareness. So, if I were to say, are you a driver of consciousness when you leave work? What I mean by that, there are days when you leave work and you are aware, sometimes irritatingly aware of maybe what another driver is doing on the road. And you're aware of all the, man, there's like a grunt there, like a Pentecostal, oh, preach it, brother. Uh, uh, so, so it's, it, and you're aware of every stoplight. You know, you're aware of the stop signs. You're aware of maybe some event that you see on the side of the road, and you maybe you take note of it, and then finally you're home. You turn off your car, or, you know, you, 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 finish, you, you finish the journey song that's left playing on the radio because you enjoy it. Turn off your car, and you go inside. If you are aware of the events that took place when you went home, that's conscious driving. But how many of you had the scary experience where you suddenly wake up after work and you're at home. Do you ever do that? Just like, man, did I, did I just blow through stop signs? I don't consciously recall the stoplights that I came to. Like, it was like, whatever my, wherever my mind was, I was not present for the experience of journeying home. That's driving without consciousness. So when I say examine of consciousness, I'm simply talking about awareness. And when I say conscience, what I'm talking about is learning how to cultivate awareness and responsiveness to your own inner lucidity. Because most of us have it, even if we've ignored it so long that we don't even notice it. But the Spirit is always with us going, uh-uh, nope, don't go there in the conversation. 
don't say that. Uh, that reaction of impatience isn't the right course. And if the Spirit does that for me a hundred times a day, a lots of times, a hundred times a day, I ignore it. And, and, I, and I probably am not even aware of it. So what, what the examine of conscience does for me is it allows me to go back and say, oh, this is stuff, this is wisdom that the Spirit is leading me to act upon so that the fruit of my life can be different than what I'm currently getting. So examination of consciousness and examination of conscience. In the examination of consciousness, we're reflecting on the ways that God has presented himself to us throughout the day and how we have responded to his presence. And, and, and what's interesting about this is for right at this point in my life, most of the time when I do this, I'm mainly aware of the many ways that I neglected that God was present. And in fact, not only did I neglect that God was present, but I actually interpreted him as the action of the enemy or just an annoyance or an interruption. So it's pretty amazing the growth that can come when you start recognizing, oh, these inconveniences and interruptions, sometimes that's what they are, but sometimes they are an interceptive way that the Spirit is presenting himself, revealing God to me in the moment. Um, because we're called to abide in Christ, and the way we experience abiding in Christ is to practice remembering when he was present every day. The way we experience abiding in Christ is by practicing remembering when he was present every day. Remembering today will increase my awareness tomorrow. Remembering today will increase my awareness tomorrow, which hopefully starts to alter the way I respond when God unexpectedly uh, presents himself to me through the day. And the next is the examine of conscience. I always begin with Psalm 120, uh, 139, which we read already. I won't read it again, but it's a great one to start with this idea of the examine of conscience. The second thing I want us to do is I want us to take a moment to look at Matthew 7 because there's some critical instruction in the middle of Matthew 7 that most of us miss because most of us just see, judge not lest you be judged. Well, what is really incredible about that paragraph, if you look at it deeply, Jesus is not see, simply saying, judge not. He's saying, judge accurately. Judge in a healthy way. And what Jesus is saying is this. If I'm speaking out an observation about someone else before I've taken time to recognize, not, not give space to see, but I give space to recognize the selfishness and sin in my own heart, then I will never be effective in the way I interact with someone else who is struggling and stumbling. That's what Jesus is saying. Because the real heart of this instruction is you've got a great big beam in your eye and you need to deal with it. That's actually the point of this verse. Look, look, look at what he says here. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. Now look at the instruction. Look at this. First, take the beam of wood out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. You see, Jesus isn't calling us to pretend to be naive and pretend like there aren't things that require our discernment in the world. Of course they are. In fact, with some of the ideas that are flying around, 
one could argue that we live in the, one of the craziest times in human history with some of the ideas that we toy around with. We have to have discernment. It's just that do you, do you practice discernment from a place of humility, empathy, and connection? Or do you see yourself separated from the thing that you're discerning because you fail to recognize that what's a splinter in their life is a big old beam in your, in your vision? And you have to deal with that. Well, the prayer of examine creates space for me to be serious, to seriously contend with the beam that is always present in my own eye. That's what, why we give ourselves to the daily examine. During the prayer of conscience, we create space for the spirit to convince us of sin for which we need to repent. Now, I actually intended to type to convict us of sin, but I really, when I looked at it and read it out loud, I, I just chose to keep the word because that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes words like repent and conviction have so much toxic uh, and triggering baggage uh, connected to it because of the way those words may have been used in our past. But really what I'm talking, I'm not talking about the Spirit shaming you. For one thing, he here's the thing. When I recognized that God's goal was to cast out all my fear because perfect love cast out fear, I recognize that accountability and examination is simply putting myself in the gaze of love. And there is no fear of shame when the eyes of love are gazing upon me. Now, when the eyes of moral superiority are gazing at me, sure, I hated the idea of repentance and I tried to pretend like I didn't have things to repent over because I didn't want the pain of the shame that would come from the gaze of moral excellence staring into my dirty soul. However, when I learned that when I come to God in repentance, I'm simply putting myself in the path of love's gaze, then it began to change everything. Because when the Spirit convicts, convicts and convinces of sin, he does so from my side of the table, not the other side. So it's me and the Spirit against the toxic, self-destructive behaviors and habits that are hurting my life. It is not me and my sin on one side and the Holy Spirit on the other in this antagonistic situation because the Holy Spirit isn't my accuser. He is my advocate. My accuser stands on the other side. My advocate sits at my side. So when I'm engaging examination and repentance, it is me and the Spirit against the thing that is hindering me from flourishing in all that Jesus intends for me. That's all that's taking place. It is not a shame upon me. It is not a robbing me of the joy and passion of my life. It is, the, it is delivering me from the habits that are hindering my flourishing in Christ. And so I give myself, so I create that space for that to happen. And we have to remember that to repent means to change one's mind. Repentance is a process by which we learn to let go of toxic beliefs about ourselves, others, and the world. This is why Paul celebrates the way we reach Christian maturity and the way we actually live lifestyles of living worship is through the renewing of the what? The mind. Not the renewing of the willpower. That will only take you so far. No, what we're after is the renewal of the mind, that deep internal work that the Spirit does whenever we open ourselves up to it. So repentance is much more than regret. During repentance, 
We trust the Spirit to reveal the sources of our addictions, toxic attitudes, destructive habits, and unhealthy ways of relating to others. And that's exactly what he does. To repent is to agree with the Spirit's evaluation after we have entrusted ourselves to the gaze of his love. To repent is to agree with the Spirit's evaluation after we have entrusted ourselves to the gaze of his love. To repent is to discover the shame, the wounds, and the insecurities in which our destructive habits are rooted so that we can be healed and transformed. See, the old evangelical repentance was just about regret. Do something bad, feel really lousy about it, tell God how sorry you are, make resolutions to do better, do better for a little while, and enjoy the self-righteous superiority that you feel for honoring God with your behavioral choices while others around you are not. They're essentially Sodom and Gomorrah where you are the new Jerusalem. And enjoy that moment because failure is the next part of that cycle. My spiritual arrogance, my spiritual pride, my, my belief that I can navigate this life without real-time dependence on the Spirit eventually catches up with me, and I find myself in the same embarrassing, shameful pit of sin that I was in in a previous cycle. And then I do that for a while. Depends, you know, if the mud is warm on a cold day, and yeah, it smells bad, but if the warmth of the mud is better than the stench of the smell, I'll probably stay a little longer than what I need to. But eventually, the Holy Spirit in his kindness allows those consequences to move me out of my apathy and lethargy so I get back on the road that he has paved for me. And so, 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 so we give ourselves over um, uh, to that process by understanding why we do the things that we do. And too many of us read the books that say, here's what you do and what you need to do about it. But the truth is, true transformation only comes when you allow the Spirit to take you on a journey so that you discover what is compelling you to do the things that you do. And you know what happens? Is you get healed by that wound. And once that wound is healed, it stops creating infection in your life. And once that infection is eradicated, you will look back and realize, hey, I'm free of these particular behavioral sins. I don't even know when it happened. It's because love took you on a journey and let you say, hey, we're gonna visit the ghosts of Christmas past because there's some scenes here that you need to learn something from. And so you learn and you speak your resentment you speak your anger, you weep your tears, you show empathy for that eight-year-old version of yourself that you've treated so poorly for the past three decades, and you're healed. All because the Holy Spirit is more concerned with your becoming whole than your adjusting your behavior to fit your community Christian standards. That is not his goal. That's our goal because we don't want you to embarrass us right? That's your goal for me. You don't want me to embarrass this organization. And it's rightly human to human to have that goal for one another. It's just that you have to remember 
You've got to turn off those motives when you come before the Spirit because he has nothing to lose by your bad behavior. He's not threatened by it. He's not intimidated by it. In fact, he's grateful that you see it because now maybe you will hear the invitation to walk the journey of your healing. That's what real repentance is actually all about. And it is not a scary thing. It's not a thing to be avoided. What you might find is it becomes the very most important foundational practice of your life. Because when repentance moves from regret over a bad moral choice to a willingness to learn something new and to discover things you didn't see before and to change your behavior in light of those renewed beliefs, well, then repentance becomes the doorway of absolute transformation in every single area of your life. So, I am encouraging you, yea, challenging you, to create space in the rhythm of your life to practice the prayer of examine. How might we do that? So glad you asked. Practicing the daily examine. Basically, there are four movements. There are probably better words than the R words I use, but I succumb to the inner preacher and, uh, uh, and, and chose to use alliteration for memory purposes. But they are replay, rejoice, repent, and reboot. Replay, rejoice, repent, and reboot. Now, in your private practice, as you journal these things out, you might look at rejoice, uh, uh, replay, rejoice, repent, and, and reboot, and say to yourselves, man, that's cheesy alliteration. I'm going to use different words. Fine. I don't care. Create an um, acronym so you can remember it. Or just have really cool, fancy, hipster words that show us all how deep you are. I don't care. That's fine. Do that. Whatever you need to do, but observe these movements. Number one, replay. What does that mean? It means acknowledge. It's all it means. This has to do with consciousness. Replay your day in as much detail as possible. It doesn't take a long time. I'm not saying you take 24 hours. It's at the end of the day. Uh, I don't do this at the end of the day. I used to, uh, but as older, the older I get, I mean, when it comes time for bed, my body just passes out. And so uh, I, I, don't, I don't have a different routine because when I go to bed, I'm just going to go to sleep. So I like to do this in the morning before anyone's up. A hot cup of coffee, hot cup of tea, open up my journal, and I start with the word yesterday. So then what I'm doing is creating space to reflect on the events of yesterday. And so you just kind of go through that day. If you want to do it in three-hour quadrants, I do six to nine reflection, nine to noon reflection, noon to three reflection, and then a three to six reflection, and then reflection on my evening, which typically is my highest quadrant of failure. I, I fail more in that area of reflection than I do the others if it's a work day because I get paid to be good, right? I get paid to be righteous, so it's a little easier for me to maintain, to pose from eight to five than it is when I get home and I've been posing all day, right? So, so I want to pay attention to that rhythm. So replay. Think about it as rummaging through a junk drawer looking for something that you know is there, you know? Has anybody had the junk drawer in their kitchen? That one drawer of chaos that your loved ones put all your stuff in from time to time. And so it's like, yeah, I know that that Bic lighter was there. Why I want the Bic lighter instead of the long little stimmy lighters on the uh, 
fireplace? I don't know, but it's just that I know the big lighter's in there. Or I know that my favorite pen was in that drawer. And you know how you do. You're like, ah, I'm moving around. And, and you're, you're like, I know it's here. I got to have faith. I can't give up. And you're like, oh my goodness, my favorite chip clip. Who put my favorite chip clip in here? So now you're discovering all these new little treasures that you lost. And then finally there at the bottom, there's the blue pen. You're like, aha, here is my pen. This is what you're doing. You're doing this. You're going through the junk drawer of your life the previous day, and you're just rummaging around a little bit. You're just looking. You're not trying to make something happen, but you're present in case something does get revealed to you through a spirit of revelation and awareness. You're asking, where was God in that circumstance? Where was God in that person's or my behavior? Where was God in that moment of pain or anger or disappointment? Or where was God in that moment of peace, love, or joy? Secondly, you move from replay to rejoice. And what I'm doing, what you're doing there is you're creating space to acknowledge that God was present and there were moments when you responded well to that. As you become aware of God's presence and grace throughout your day, take a moment to relish that experience. Oftentimes, my daughter's will call or text me and i'm just so fortunate that this season in their life we have really good vulnerable relationships with our kids and oftentimes they will send me some sort of encouragement that i will appreciate but i don't fully enter into it because i don't take time to recognize that was also god at work there and and so so i begin to go back and and uh, over my life and start recognizing those places. I remember we went on a mission trip to uh, Houston years ago. This was back when Brandon Lehman, the former pastor's oldest son, was in my youth group. And um, we, we did these service projects the day, and at the beginning of the day, we had worked in a, um, in a um, child care facility. And he interacted with this one particular child, and we left, the child ran up to him and said, I love you. And then we ended the day going to a nursing home. And as was his style, rather than the large group things, he, Brandon would often interact with singular people. Uh, he was generally interested in people, and he, he struck up and made a connection with this one particular lady, and then we got ready to leave, and he said that she said, I love you. And then we had a moment at the end where we were reflecting on the events of the day like this and then sharing, and what Brandon said was, he shared the stories I just said, and he said, I realized that was more than a child and an elder lady saying, I love you. That was the voice of the Spirit saying through a child, I love you. And that was the voice of the Spirit saying through this elderly woman, I love you. So he got it. He saw that God is always speaking and interacting, but you've got to broaden your understanding to, to start watching for those events whenever they happen. Rejoice, And when you do see it, just say thank you. Or maybe take a moment to worship, just a mini moment to worship. Thank you, God. I love you. I adore you. You are my God, and you are strong beyond my wildest imagination. David Venner said, Unwelcome circumstances are not gifts, but they may contain a gift, and they often do. This is an invitation to experience and express the joy you fear, feel over the moments that make you think, I love my life. Most of us 
are way more conscientious and engage way more with the moments that make us say, I hate my life. That ends up being the atmosphere of our head. What about those moments that make you say, I love my life? In fact, I've been experimenting as a spiritual discipline. Every time I'm conscious of a moment of peace, joy, or encouragement that happens even from a non-spiritual circumstance, I take a moment as an act of discipline and worship to say, I love my life. I love my life. The interesting thing, the more you practice that, the more you become aware of those moments. And then finally, we repent. We ask God to show us our selfishness, our lust, our anger, our deceit, our pride, our hurtful words and unkind actions. And the reason why that this is not difficult is because we are convinced that there is more grace in God than there is sin in you. If you don't believe that, this becomes a really hard thing to do. So you have to believe there is more grace in God than there is sin in me. Think about three people who got exposed in their sin. I think of Adam and Eve, and I think of the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple. If you're not familiar with those stories, I, I apologize, but I would encourage you to get on the Google and become familiar with them. We see that Adam hid, the Pharisee denied, but the tax collector cried, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he alone was justified. That's what the story tells us. This is where we might end our time praying along with David in Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. And then we rebuke, reboot, rebuke, rebuke, reboot. Maybe, maybe these words aren't that clever. Reboot. Reboot is simply to embrace intentionality. In other words, I'm allowing everything that happened before to actually inform the choices I make when I get up and leave my time of prayer. To reboot is simply to allow your time of examination to shift to the resolve of intentionality. I am equipped to be intentional about avoiding today's pitfalls and becoming more aware of his presence, leading, and grace tomorrow. And I'll be honest with you. The, where I see the most benefit in this practice is in my relationship to my wife. I went years speaking unkindly and doing mean things toward her, and I wasn't even conscious of it. I thought I was just winning arguments. And, and going back over arguments that I have has been a pretty significant source of conviction and humility for me that has allowed me to be invited into some growth that I couldn't have seen otherwise. Because in the moment, I think I'm just making a good argument. But in my time of examination, the spirit might say, no, son, you did that to be mean. Now, why is that? When I pause on it, that's a good question. Why is that? Well, she said I was stupid and lazy, and I was defending myself. All right, let's process those emotions, and let's, let's reflect on it. What exactly did she say? Oh, she said, Artie, don't forget to take off the trash. <laughs> but what I heard was, you're stupid and lazy. You're too stupid to remember it on yourself, and you're too lazy to do it unless I get on you. That, that is how I would have framed that narrative for years of my marriage, all the while thinking the problem was with her. It wasn't until an examine that I recognized, oh my goodness, I am speaking from my own unhealed insecurity. 
This has nothing to do with her, and I owe her a decade's worth of apologies here. And then we've had those conversations. Hopefully, they've gotten better. In fact, in, in, in the counseling part of my job, what I do, I really wish I had the box of T-shirts so that I could just, especially when people are coming for marriage counseling, and just give them a T-shirt that says, excuse me, your insecurities are showing. Because that's what's happening the majority of the time when we are fighting with our partner, is that we are just rehashing and trying to come to terms with some insecurity that we need the Spirit's help in order to be healed. We are transformed in the image of Christ moment by moment and choice by choice. If I am not intentional and proactive in following Jesus, then I am, in fact, not following Jesus. If I am not intentional and proactive in following Jesus, then I am, in fact, not following Jesus. I might be a great churchman, I might be a super cool Christian for all the things that your particular native of the woods would qualify as being a super cool Christian, doing a great job. But at the end of the day, if I'm not intentional about following Jesus, I am not following Jesus. You can't be accidentally married. You can't be casually a parent. All of these relational connections require intentionality, or you know what? It's just a self-deceit. And it's the same in the way I follow Jesus. The reboot brings me back to being intentional about my pursuit of Jesus. Would you all stand with me, please? Would the worship team come forward as we get ready to close? In the back and the end of your notes, there's simply a section called Confessing Sin and Professing Forgiveness. We're going to take about five minutes to walk through this. You don't have to do anything with this, but if you'll notice, it's in the flow of the daily examine under the category to repent. So when you get to that category, if you're uncertain about what to do, here's a thing that you might practice. First of all, a couple of a quote and a scripture. To confess your sins to God is not to tell him anything he doesn't already know. Unless, until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between you. When you confess them, they become the bridge. Frederick Bruckner. Proverbs 28 says, he who, he who conceals his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes it finds mercy. So we might begin here with Psalm 139. Search me, test me, know me, see me. And lead me. Take a moment here. So let's just do this. Close your eyes and you just pray. Holy Spirit, search my heart right now in this moment. Just create that space. Search me, Lord. See if there is an offensive way in me that I'm neglecting or I'm in the path of self-deception and I don't even see it. Show me. Boom, man, I just got hit with the thought and idea that I have not ever entertained. Um, I'm not going to break down and process that thought in front of you all, but I will be revisiting this in some other private moment because it just never dawned on me that this thing that just popped in my mind was in any way 
um, motivating me. So now I know, okay, I've got some soul work to do before the Lord. I'm going to bring this back up and write about it in a private prayer time. So you just allow that in, in reflection to come to the surface. Now take a moment to confess your sin. I'm going to do that privately. Too soon. Now ask God to show you what benefit you thought you would receive from this sin. This is a very, very important question. Because first of all, you're going to say, none, it's making my life miserable. Wrong. If there were no benefit, I don't care how much misery it's bringing, your self-preservation would kick in and you wouldn't do it. So this requires extreme vulnerability. What did I think? Well, the example I used earlier with my wife, what I thought I would gain is I would win the argument and I would protect myself from any perceived accusations that made me uncomfortable. But that's not what I got. In fact, the result was I spread more unkindness and harm and hurt because of the insincere way I judged her motives. So you've got to ask that question, what is that deception? Ask God to show you how you were deceived. But every moment of confess needs to be followed by profess. So we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now what I profess is I am forgiven. This thing may have power because of the consequences it creates if I choose it, but that is not an indication that now God is resisting me or against me or rejects me. I am forgiven. And God, I thank you that my faith teaches me that you have clothed me in the righteousness of Christ. Show me the truth that I need to be dwelling on that will combat this toxic belief and insecurity that I'm wrestling with. and empower me to make a different choice the next time I'm in the path of this temptation. Amen. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. He then poured the wine and said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance.